today I'm really excited uh, about this message today because I'm not going to be preaching by myself. In fact, I have someone with me that looks a lot like me. I think he looks better than me, much more handsome, much more rich. And uh, I'm excited to have my younger brother. I can't call him my little brother, but excited to have my younger brother share the message with me this morning. So I need you to do give a welcome, Ephesus welcome, jump up on your feet and welcome this morning my brother, Chef Gerard Class. Amen. You can be seated. Man, this is exciting. I got something for you here. You might need this one. And that one. This is my absolute heart. My younger brother. Um, I could say so much about him. But uh, man, if, if you have ever met my mother, um, she did a pretty good job. And... Uh, we're so much alike in a lot of ways. Um, we're, we talk all the time. And uh, one of the things that I was looking forward to, he didn't come by himself, and I forgot to put the picture up, but he actually came with his wife and his, not a newborn, but his eight-month-old baby. And so they're here. I think he's sleeping. Had a rough night. It's nap time right now. It's nap time. That's okay. And uh, so you get a chance to maybe meet him a little bit later. I want to pray one more time. And we're going to get talking, we're going to talk today about the recipe. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to, to talk about the recipe, secret ingredients to life. And I just pray that someone's heart will be touched and changed by what they hear and what they see today. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, we just had Thanksgiving. Yes, it was good. It was good. We had a good Thanksgiving. Now, as a chef, most people probably uh, think you're going to cook everything, right? Yes. And they expect you to cook any place you go? Anywhere I go. <laughs> even if I didn't cook, they, they still ask me if there's food, what did you make? So even if I didn't cook, they're still going to ask me, what, what did you make today? If they see that I'm around food, they want to know, what did the chef make? Now, I saw a pretty funny video on Facebook, and I have a clip of it. But before I do that, I want to read a text that we're going to discuss today. It is found in Mark, Matthew chapter 6, and it's in verse 33. And so it says this, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. And that's, there's a recipe in that. And we're going to unpack that a little bit together. But I thought this clip was funny. It's from a Christian comedian, Kev on stage. And uh, when I saw I think I shared it with you, I laughed so much because this is exactly how I feel. So watch this short clip. Uh, we'll see what you guys think. Some recipes are not supposed to be Alter, okay, Food Network, this show is called The Kitchen, and they doggone ruin macaroni and cheese. I don't even want to open my eyes. I don't want to see the video no more because I'm getting upset. I'm getting hot. 
Thanksgiving is a day and a half with, on Thanksgiving Eve, Eve, and y'all messing up macaroni and cheese. First of all, she put Gruyere in the macaroni and cheese. Gruyere! And I thought, okay, you know what? Maybe you switch the cheeses. I ain't tripping. But then, but then, she just, I mean, desecrated the mac with Brussels sprouts, cabbage, carrots. What is you doing? This ain't a casserole. This is a staple for Thanksgiving that don't need to be altered at all. Leave it alone. Macaroni and cheese is an unalterable dish. You don't mess with macaroni and cheese. Doggone recipe has been fine for years. Now y'all want to go and add dressing on top of it? I'm, I'm going to sock somebody on me, on the hood. I'm going to sock somebody. I don't think y'all understand how upset this makes me. I get it. Y'all job is to make new, fresh stuff. Do that with something else, okay? You're entitled to your own opinion, but I want to fight you for it. I'm triggered. I feel personally attacked that y'all are doing this macaroni and cheese. First of all, the macaroni and cheese never went into the oven. It never went into the oven. You can't make macaroni and cheese for Thanksgiving in a pot only. If it don't go in the oven, throw the whole thing away. Dressing don't go on top of mac and cheese. Well, I just think you should have a crunchy top. You finna have a crunchy top. These hands are available. I'm socking somebody on the hood. I'm finna go to jail on Thanksgiving Eve Eve because y'all messing with my favorite holiday and my favorite side. Y'all messing with my stuff. All of y'all, I hope you get fired. I hope that kitchen burns down. There's nobody in it. But I hope y'all can't cook because I want y'all fingers to get stepped on by a tall person, Shaq, Lisa Leslie, Kane, The Undertaker. Anybody, step on y'all fingers because y'all ruining a good thing. <laughs> That's really funny. So, man, tell, tell us as a chef, what do you do? Because I think some of us have seen the network, Food Network before. And uh, tell, tell people what you do as a chef. Sadly, I think that TV has kind of messed up what people think I do. It looks a lot more exciting than what it is. Um, but what I do is I do a lot of menu development. So I create recipes. Um, I, I spend a lot of time in the office, sadly, doing schedules and buying and purchasing food, uh, writing recipes. Um, I also get to do training, I get to open restaurants uh, around the country, which is fun. Uh, but a lot of long hours. Uh, we, we get started very early, uh, usually about 6 in the morning. We don't open till 11. Uh, and a lot of nights I'm not out of there until 7 or 8 o'clock. Uh, so a lot of long shifts. I spend a lot of time expediting, which is like uh, the conductor that kind of gets the food to come all together. Uh, and I'm Mr. Fix-It. If anything goes wrong, uh, I wear a lot of different hats. Just last week, I was the plumber on Wednesday. We had a couple pipes go down. I was electrician. Uh, we had some kitchen equipment that wasn't working. Uh, had somebody that was late. I was the counselor that day. So a lot of different hats, a lot of different hats. Tell them about the restaurant that you, or the, I guess it's like almost a franchise. I don't even know what to call it. Yeah, so the, the company I work for is called Cascade, uh, and their flagship is called Crave, which is a restaurant that is um, a full-service restaurant that has sushi as well. It's a little bit of something for everyone. It's kind of our niche. You know, if you come to dinner with your grandma and your cousins and, you know, I want to have a steak and you want to have mac and cheese or butter noodles and, you know, somebody exotic wants sushi, you can get all those things at the same table. So that's kind of our niche. Uh, I think we're up to 14 restaurants now, pretty much based in the Midwest. Um, and I've been there almost 10 years. Now, it's phenomenal because when you think about chefs, and I remember when you first started, uh, you are much further along 
than you ever thought you would be, especially at this. Tell them a little bit about that journey. What's typical uh, on the road to what you do now and then how, how you got to where you are now? Um, so I was, I've been really blessed and fortunate to um, start with a company that was growing. I think a lot of people don't do that. When I was able to start with them, uh, I was pretty much able to take on as much responsibility as I could handle, and they kept giving me more stuff, and I kept learning and figuring out how to do that, and through travel and learning the cuisines, I was a quick learner. I picked things up very fast, um, and so they just keep giving me more responsibility, and, and I took it. A lot of chefs worked for years and years as an apprentice under somebody, um, just waiting for the opportunity for somebody to give them their own place. Uh, or they have a lot of chefs that'll work at the nicest place in town and kind of jump from the nicest place and try to get a lot of experience um, from these different chefs. So my kind of journey was a little bit uh, unorthodox. I started culinary school two weeks after high school was out. Uh, got jumped right in and started my college and then I was uh, working the whole time I was in school and haven't looked back since. So to put this in perspective, um, how it works is, I didn't know how the chef thing works, but if I put it in my, in my own pastor profession, so I would, so you maybe start off as a local leader and then a pastor and then maybe pastor of a bigger church and then an administrator and then maybe like what we would call a conference president or a bishop. So you are technically at the level of like a bishop. Yeah, you could say you could say that. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and I think when you first started, your goal was to what would it be, essentially be is like a pastor by 30. Yeah, my so I started as a line cook um, and then I worked my way up to a line cook trainer. So when we had new cooks in, I could train them on the specific station and then I worked my way up to supervisor. Uh, and then a sous chef later down the road, and then executive chef, and then now I was a opening chef for a while, which I just traveled, and then now the regional chef. So yeah, I guess I guess I may be on the bishop status. <laughs> so they call him bishop chef. There's there's something we talk about all the time, and it's it's, a, it's one of the points. And for those who take notes, I would I would write this one down. Um, this is a this is a powerful point that you share, and it's um, success doesn't flow to you, it flows through you. Tell tell us about that. Um, so one of the things that I've learned uh, in my career is that there's a way that Christ does business and there's a, there's a capitalism way. And a capitalism way um, definitely looks like that pyramid structure. And as you're moving up, you're at the top and it's lonely at the top. Um, but what's been exciting is that I think one of the reasons I've been able to move fastly in this career is because God has really showed me that success has to flow through me. I can't be worried about what uh, if other people have the same skills as me or in our, in our business, I was showing him if they, somebody takes a recipe that I made and puts it on their menu, um, I have to be in the mindset to teach and that uh, I'm just a cup that's at the top and as my cup overflows, I'm able to pour into others. Um, so I try to really um, take that on and use that as um, a key to how I work is that I want to make sure that if I'm successful, everybody around me is successful. If I have a knowledge or I've learned a shortcut, that you're able to do it in half the time. There's a lot of things, you know, outside of that that I've learned from Terrence. That, you know, maybe he knew something and he was able to show me in half the time and I didn't have to make the mistakes or, you know, I was able to get those shortcuts right away. And I think that's how success flows and people are um, much more willing to work for you when they know that you're gonna develop them as well as you're getting developed and it's not just, just about me. Well, talk about that a little bit more because that's counter in, counterintuitive to what the competitive nature of of being a chef. I think we've all watched Chopped, right? And, uh, you know, on Chopped, you know, they're not 
particularly helping each other. You got some eggs? Like, no, just knock all the eggs on the floor and break them. But that's counterintuitive because for what it takes to be a chef, um, especially the executive chef, it takes a lot of, of, it's probably very competitive and cutthroat. So your paradigm and, what you, and your approach to this, to life is a lot different by saying, um, I'm gonna give away. And what the thing that you said about being in overflow, that's one of the core things of our church. Um, going in just a little bit more and describe like, I mean, you talked about how a lot of chefs' families break apart, they're not stable, those kind of things. Yeah, and, and I won't say that I'm not competitive because I am, but I'm more competitive on the creativity side. Uh, I like to compete on how to create um, new things, but being a chef is a very difficult industry and um, something even my parents you know, had a conversation with me about when I was choosing to go down that road. Chefs work a lot of long hours, very high divorce rates, uh, a lot of drugs and alcohol kind of followed that um, profession um, just because a lot of late nights and um, you, in a good way and a bad way, you almost become a family with the people that you work with because of the amount of hours that you spend with them. Um, and so you, you definitely have to be grounded and rooted to be able to be in that industry and not get consumed by it. A lot of chefs, I was telling him about the Michelin Star, which is this fancy company um, that makes tires, but somehow they let them judge the best restaurants in the world. And um, they will come through and these chefs strive to get this award, but when they, they did a study and looked at these chefs after a year after their award, and a lot of their restaurants were out of business, and you know once they got the award, people were leaving them, and so it's very tough, very tough industry to get in. Um, it is a lot more than what I thought it was when I was getting in. I thought it was going to be. Uh, I used to like Emeril Lagasse, if anybody remembers him, and I used to want to be him and like imitate the things that he did. And I thought it was just going. I was going to have a cooking show, and it was going to be fabulous and cook for a couple people, and everybody be excited. And I didn't know that it was going to take. Lots of work of building technique and skills and uh, lots of repetition and consistency and late nights and early mornings to get to this point. Well, I want to go back to the text and um, I think I got it here. I like that you chose this text. And what's interesting mm -hmm. is that I always see that God confirms things. But this text is um, pretty much a sticker that's on our wall in our right by the front door that we read to your nephew every morning. So that's cool. Wow. That you chose this text. That's incredible. In this text, you know, Jesus, he, he didn't do it the fast way. It didn't come fast. It's interesting that Jesus spent literally 30 years in obscurity uh, working as a carpenter. The guy worked as a construction worker for 30 years and really only did what he did and for three and a half years. And that preparation for when he actually launched what he, when his purpose was. I mean, that's incredible to me. You talked about that before, about your, your journey not being instant and your journey not being something that comes right away. When you think about the recipe for life, especially in this text, that God is saying, Christ is saying especially, look, I want you to seek something bigger than yourself. I want you to seek the kingdom of God. There's something behind the kingdom. And above all else, he says, I want you to live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. And that, that in other versions, it'll say, he will add it unto you. And that's where we kind of get this idea of it being a recipe, that it starts with something, and it starts with this desire to seek the kingdom and seek something bigger than you, seek something that's beyond who you are. It's very easy 
especially for anybody in any of your professions, to want to get things quickly. Like, I want to get the house right away. I want to get the job. I want to get married right away. I want to I do this. And we kind of try to order our life. And then when we take those shortcuts without God, then we're like asking, where is God? And God was like, you left me like 15 years ago. Like, I would have told you never to marry that person. And I think, I, think, I think you guys have all seen that probably with a restaurant or a chain that you liked. And um, they, they switch owners or they switch management. And somehow the food isn't as good as when I used to go when it was just one hole-in-the-wall place. And now there's 20 of them and the quality's left. And they try to take the shortcuts to expand quickly and to be able to make more money. But it's just not the same quality that it's taken. And even myself, like, I used to be frustrated about... Um, those lessons that I had to learn in the kitchen and um, why the equipment would break down. But once I found out that now, I know that I have to be responsible for the whole entire process. So each one of those little um, tests and trials and things that I had to learn and learn the skills to be, not only just to know, but to be able to teach somebody those skills as well, um, has brought me to a place where it hasn't been instant. I've definitely spent a lot of time and a lot of hours, um, but it's created a, a quality product in me that I can know all the facets of this, this industry. So let's look at this text from the lens of a chef, a world-class, award-winning, Michelin tire, award-winning chef. Um, and let's look at this from, from, from your perspective. And there's three things I know we're going to lift and talk about and help everyone in this room um, take this idea that we're talking about, the recipe, the secrets for life. Where do I start? What, do I, what does God do? And, and, and really unpacking this metaphor. And uh, let's break this down a little bit. You guys ready for that? So here's number one. If you're taking notes, you got your phone, your pen ready. Here's the first one. So the first one you say, step that a chef takes and that we could take to life is reading the recipe. Tell us about that. So, um, you know, you, you're, you're going to start with kind of like who your audience is. I have to know if, you know, if I get a client that comes in and they book, um, I need to know who that audience is who are going to be making the food for. If it's a business person, I'm not going to make something with a lot of garlic because I know they're going to have close conversations throughout the day. I'm not going to make something that's messy. They're not going to have chicken wings or something like that or uh, sloppy joes. We're going to try to keep those things in, in, in mind. If somebody's on a date, we're going to make things for them to share. We're going to make things that are in multiple pieces or things that are a little bit more decadent. So you want to know, like, um, who your audience is. Um, so I've got those five things up here on the screen. So they know that you're walking through these things. So when you look at a recipe, you're going to start with the audience. Start okay. with my audience, and that's going to allow me to pick the right recipe for them. Um, the second thing is the yield. You need to know how much does this make. Is this going to make enough for the party that I have? Um, you know, when I think about it, I said, are we going to make enough where they can mess up a couple and we still have enough for the party? Um, but you got to look at the yield. You know, we had, uh, you had 20-some people at your house for Thanksgiving. And so um, when Mama Carol's making uh, the dressing, she's got to know, is this enough rolls for how many people, how many uh, rolls is this recipe going to yield? Um, so let's break that down in the spirit. Because first of all, uh, we have to know what we're doing, it, who we're doing it for and that we have enough for everybody. I think that's a powerful application um, that when you're trying to do something, build something for your family, first of all, is this something that you are building for yourself? Like, are you working three or four jobs so that you can buy the boat, 
You know, are you working, are you not working and not developing yourself as a woman and not educating yourself fully because you want to be taken care of? Whatever that is. Um, do you know who the audience is for? At some point, I always tease all the time, like, that you should never, this is me, don't, don't take this as a judgmental statement, okay? This is just, this is just my not being judgmental. But I, I just feel, my philosophy, I should put it this way, is that I shouldn't look better than my kids. I mean, is that, is that wrong? Is that wrong to say? You don't have to agree. I mean, like, if I'm just freshed up and my kids are tore up, like, there's something wrong with that. Right, you know? Um, so um, I used to see it all the time when I work in the restaurant. And parents be like, I want six beers. I want extra this. I want extra that. And the kids get a water and some french fries. I'm like, really? Is that what we're doing? So that's important um, to know. I really want to, I'm glad you're pulling that out because that's, that's a great step. The first two parts of that is to know who I'm doing this for and do I have enough? Can I yield enough from this? For, to sustain for them. That's that overflow stuff. Overflow. Um, okay. The next one is preparation time. So I really have to look to see, do I have enough time to see this process through? Uh, reading through the recipe to say, you know, is this gonna take two hours? Is this something that I need to start today and finish tomorrow? Um, do I have enough time with a mix of the other recipes I have to actually make this? So preparation time is big because that'll cause you to have to take shortcuts or not have a quality product if you don't have enough a lot of time to, to actually make the dish that you're looking at. Okay, you got two more, right, on yeah. the list? Ingredient list, so you need to see, do you have everything that you need to start this process um, to be able to go through that? Sometimes I know when I was um, first becoming, when I was a line cook and they would give me a recipe to make, I'd get started before I knew if I had everything. <laughs> I'd have half the ingredients mixed, and then I'd find out that, oh, we don't have eggs, and, you know, that product's pretty much wasted because I can't do anything with this batter that doesn't have the eggs and I can't cook it right away. Um, and so I learn to stop and sit back and say, okay, let me make sure that we have everything. Um, and then the last one is the technique. Um, so technique, do you have all the skills required to make this certain dish? And as I got older and learned to make more complex stuff, sometimes I didn't. And that was something that I said, hey, I either need somebody to help or I have to learn this a uh, certain technique to be able to make this dish. Sushi was one of those things. When I started, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, the traditional Japanese guys that work with us are like, I don't know if you're ever gonna get this. Um, but after I learned the technique, then I was able to, then it kind of came a little bit more easy. So apply that spiritually. This idea about the ingredients list and the technique. Um, sometimes we start out in stuff and we don't have everything that we need. Like. There's a lot of things missing, whether it's the competency, uh, whether it's forgiveness. Sometimes in relationships, me and Missy see this all the time. We help couples like they're moving on without healing from the last thing. And then, of course, they're bringing all of that stuff with them into the new thing. And they really don't have what they need to get started, um, whether it's the discipline. Sometimes I've done this before. went to college uh, one year and just messed, just flunked out the whole quarter because my mind wasn't right, I wasn't ready. And um, spiritually, you know, having everything before you get started, do we, are we starting on the right foundation? Um, do I have everything? And then I love that thing about technique. Do I know how to do this? Um, do I know how to parent this child, right? Am I ready to do this? Am I ready to love this woman? Am I ready to serve God with all my heart? Do I have a technique and a skill that needs to be developed before I go any further?
So I think that's really powerful. Man, for those who are writing that down, reading the recipe. So step two, you got a step two now. And that is, I can't even say it, but I'm gonna get I'm gonna try it. Mise en place. Mise en place, you Ooh. said it correct. Boss. Um, Boss. You learned a little French today. Yes, sir. Um, so mise en place is uh, a term that I learned at Le Cordon Bleu, and it's it's cool because it's one of those little nuggets that they gave us at the beginning, and we didn't really know that it, it could it, it could go spill over into our lives and how we live, but it, it translates to everything in its place. Um, and it really has allowed me to really focus on, in a recipe process that I bring everything I need, all the tools, all the ingredients that I bring, all that stuff out before I get started. And as a chef, we do it so that it makes things more efficient. When I have new cooks, um, sometimes it's like a tennis match because I ask them to make something and I watch them get started and, oh, I don't got the cheese and I gotta go back to the cooler and get the cheese and then they get started and it's, oh, I don't have the peppers and then I gotta go back to the cooler and get the peppers and that one dish that probably takes about five minutes to make ends up taking about 25 minutes for them to do. So mise en place has really allowed us to examine everything that we need to be successful, um, pull all those ingredients in out and have our tools, preheat my oven instead of me making the batter and then it's time to go in the oven and the oven's cold, having those things set and ready ahead of time um, so that I can be efficient. So there's a text about that, and um, this is Luke uh, 14, 28. Jesus says this, don't begin until you count the cost. For who begin, would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? You think that uh, this generation, people often um, get started without counting the cost, without having everything in place before they move. And that actually can make somebody take something, take longer, right, to do something than it should be, just simply because things are out of place. Yeah, you can, I also look at it from the perspective of once you look at what your end result is, what you want to be, it'll allow you to work differently from the beginning of how you're going to start. So instead of just getting started and not really knowing where you're going to say, what do I want this dish to be? What do I want this dish to look like, to taste like, smell like, all those different things? And then I'll work backwards to say, do I have all the techniques, the skills, everything out to, to be able to make this? Yeah, I can resonate with that. I remember uh, when I first really accepted the call to pastor, and um, what I had to do was say, I actually had a, a wise, very wise mentor who told me, um, you're not a pastor when you have a church. You're a pastor now. Like, you, that's, you start now. Your character, your ethic, your work ethic, your spiritual life, what you read, why, why would you wait until you get a degree and wait till you get hired like you are a pastor now? And I think that's, a, I think that's such a powerful thing for me, uh, to, for, for us to know, like, you know, that's one of the things we do here. We do something called Growth Track, which helps you develop who you are and grow in God, but it also lets you leave there knowing like, who am I called to be? And um, when you know what you're called to be, it does change your decision making. When I was living crazy and I was wilding out, I was not deciding based on what I was going to be. I was living in the moment. And a lot of the things that even now are a struggle for me just because of those times when I shouldn't have done those things. And I wasn't thinking about down the road and thinking about the purpose on my life, and I think of financial decisions. We talk about this a lot. Like we're not making financial financial decisions 
based on 2018. We're making financial decisions based on 2038. Like my 60-year-old self, my 50-year-old self, my 70-year-old self, if I just go to Red Robin every single night this week, right, my 70-year-old self is going to be on some top ramen and peanut butter. So thinking down the road. I love that, man, um, so much. Mise en place, having everything in order. One more. Oh, did you? There were some things you wanted to, you were going to unpack a little bit about this uh, gathering everything you need. Talk, you talked a little bit about tools. You did it really quickly. Um, but having those things ahead of time. And it's also, I, I think that part, that, uh, that process is good because then you're able to examine, do you have the quality of stuff that you need? Is this the best that I can have? Um, when I'm looking at those ingredients, I got to examine to see, are these the freshest tomatoes? Did these come in today? Um, taking a look to see, is this the best that I have to put forward once I'm getting started? And not just, you know, being mediocre with what I have or not really caring. I really have to examine those things and say, what I want to serve my customers the best, so is this the best that I have to put for it? And you're able to examine those ingredients before you're able to get started. So you wouldn't, so if you had something that wasn't good quality, you wouldn't make the dish? If it's not 100% right, we don't serve it. And it's, a, it's a difficult thing sometimes, and people are upset, but, you know, that's that standard that we have to, to carry. I mean, can anybody relate to that? Like, you know, sometimes we've compromised in the past. Like we've overlooked something in somebody or we've overlooked something the job was requiring or the degree was requiring. Like, ah, oh, that's all right. That may not be. But then we get down the road like, man, I can't even give my best to this because I overlooked that quality. Um, and I, I, we see that all the time, relationships, man. That's like the biggest thing where it's, that's like a huge red flag, right? Like the first date, they were like, oh, could you cover me? You know, I left my wallet in the car. And, like, they're so fine, and they're just so cute. You're like, oh, that's okay. I got you. But then, like, 10 years later, they are not working a job. You're like, Pastor, they don't work. And I'm like, yeah, they kind of told you that when they said they didn't have their wallet on the first date. And so some of the times the things we overlook that are really important, you know, we can't put our best forward. And I'll also keep you from getting started on something and having to stop. Like, I think that's also important is that, you don't want to get started in something you don't have what you need to kind of to finish it through, and this allows you to kind of not have to go through those those steps, which transforms me in life too. There's a lot of projects, I have bright ideas, and I want to get started on something, and I maybe don't think about, okay, I need the, all the different skills to do this, or I need flyers or T-shirts, and I don't have those skills, or whatever those those different things are. This kind of allows me to make sure so I have everything I need to kind of see this this through. And you got one last process. And that one is execution. And I love this, this word. Break that down for us a little bit. Ex I like to listen to uh, E.T., the hip-hop preacher, and he says execution is worship. So um, the difference between the places that you go to eat and the places that you don't go to eat uh, is simply execution. They probably all go through the same process of opening a restaurant, having great ideas, having great menu items. They hire the staff. They train them. They all have uniforms. They have all the tools they need. They have the cups, they have the spoons, the plates, they have the waters. Um, but how they execute, uh, you know, pretty much dictates where we go to eat. Is it consistent? Um, do they execute at a high level? Is there integrity, um, which I like. Uh, I was telling Terrence I like this idea that sometimes when I'm at work and I hear these, uh, them brainstorming about these big ideas, 
how to transform our industry. They're just biblical things. And so I look and they talk about integrity and talk about doing the right thing when nobody is around. Um, it's a funny thing, but you always look, we, we have our guys and every once in a while we get very busy and I see something fall on the floor and I always stop. I used to, you know, say, hey, throw that away. And then I start to look to see, did this guy have integrity? I'm going to wait a couple minutes, mm. just kind of stick and peek my head around the corner to see how he does. Um, but that execution part is, is so important because that shows through, are you going to follow this process? If this process is long and difficult, are you going to still stay the course to get that end product? Um, are you still going to make sure that you're treating the ingredients with integrity? Um, which is big for me because the better chefs you get, we don't necessarily want to do too much to it. If I have this really good tomato, I want you to taste that. I want you to showcase. Uh, I always love being in Tri-Cities because the produce here is amazing. And, you know, I get the stuff two, three days later that we get shipped and it's fresh here. You can pick them off the tree. Um, but if I get a fresh apple from here, I want you to be able to taste that. And I want not to do too much to it and keep that simplicity to that to that product. So. Having that integrity, making sure that you're doing the right thing, um, you know, it, it spills over to kind of the same similar things that we look at with trying to be righteous. You got a few things to break that down, um, and you wrote them this way. Uh, no shortcuts, knowing your equipment, taste as you go. Break down that, that idea of integrity. Um, so no shortcuts. Once you have everything, um, you're ready to get started. You know, there's a lot of opportunities to take shortcuts um, as a chef, and I think as um, I stick around and see the guys on in my industries, I can see guys who have taken those opportunities to get pre-made products and to get things with lots of preservatives or um, not to stick the course. And even if it's difficult, like I love, they were, they were making rolls and it was so easy probably for her to go buy some Grand's biscuits and pop them in, but that quality of the product, um, you, you lose it. So um, taking shortcuts, um, there's a lot of times when we have something or we're out of something and I have to say, hey, we're, we don't have, I can't serve you this because we don't have it. Yes, I could probably find a substitute or something that's almost as good, but it's not the right product. Um, knowing your equipment, um, that's another important step because um, a lot of times people ask me for recipes and I have to explain to them that the professional equipment that I have doesn't replicate to the home oven. You know, the <laughs> oven that I use that's 600 degrees that has fans in it that you know make it hotter and conduction and all these different things doesn't translate to my electric oven at home. So knowing your equipment uh, will allow you to be able to use it better, uh, will also allow you to be able to know how you need to use it just so that you're getting the proper product, even if you're in a different environment. So a lot of times I have to cook in somebody's home and it's not the same equipment that I use when I'm in a restaurant or if I'm, you know, if I'm at the kitchen, if I'm, in the, uh, if I'm at my house for those things that I'm familiar with. So knowing your equipment, I think, is definitely important. Um, and taste as you go. Well, before you go there, you surprised me one time when you purchased, when you had to get some knives. Oh, man. So this surprised me. How, how much, as a chef, is a really good knife? This, this, really, this really surprised me. A good knife is, is, a good knife is probably about 500 bucks. Um, <laughs> 500 bucks. But a good knife. What does a top quality knife cost? They, they get pretty expensive. I've seen some knives for probably about 15. $1,500 for a knife. A I got my knives at Costco. There's a Japanese steel that they actually like hand pound and they do sketchings inside. That's pretty expensive. 
But once you once you've used a knife like that, it's hard to use a cheaper knife, huh? It's really hard to use a cheaper knife. And me and my wife first got together, I threw away her whole Walmart set of knives. Um, because it just it's difficult and I go in and it's it's um, you're cutting something and it's just more likely to cut yourself and um, yeah, it's hard for me. That's one of the things that I like will bring my knives wherever I go because I don't want to go into a kitchen and I have to use somebody's butter knife for this. Oh. I, I just think that's such a powerful analogy to scripture because, you know, the Bible, I don't have this text up, but the Bible calls itself a knife. It says it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And I think about all the other things we try to use to substitute that, that just don't cut it. Just look at your neighbor and say, that don't cut it, that don't cut it. I mean, seriously, like, we call our friends, we, we watch Dr. Phil, you know, we go on Facebook, and there's words that, even trying to feed ourselves with movies, and it just doesn't do what the Word of God does. And that, that costs. It's expensive, and it's worth it. And once you get used a good knife, you really can't go back. To and those else. knives will last you a lifetime. It's not, it's not like you're getting this knife every year. That knife will last you and last you. You know, I've seen guys have knives passed down, like, wow, doesn't need to buy, you won't need to buy another one. Well, finish this last one, um, and then we're going we're gonna to wrap it up. Taste as you go. I loved when you talked about this. This is so good. If um, you're taking notes, this is a good one. So when I'm training my guys, taste as you go is probably the biggest thing that I can instill with them, because I want them to treat the product um, like they were going to eat it, instead of you know, it's busy tonight, you're gonna make 50 burgers and you don't really care about um, what this person is getting. It's just repetition, you're not really knowing is this the right seasoning, is this the right? So we really um, try to get the guys to taste as you go. And the chefs, different from um, home cooks, is we try to layer flavor, um, which is different. So when I'm making macaroni and cheese, I, I'm thinking about um, is there flavor in the pasta? I'm, I'm salting the water first, you know? I want to make sure that the water salt is so it imparts flavor in the noodles, and then I'm going to go on to the sauce, and then I'm worried about the topping. It's not just, okay, I made this dish, it's cooked, and then I'm going to add a little salt in the end. We really want to layer those flavors um, and get the guys to taste those. And once they're able to taste it, they know um, if things look right, if, it's, if, it's the, if they're headed on that right track, if the flavor profile is developing how you want it to. Um, and then you ensure that when the customer gets that product, it's exactly what they need. If they don't taste it, we have a lot of things that have come back. You've all been to a restaurant. This is salty. Um, this is overcooked. The, the rice is crunchy. There's something about that process that they didn't value the customer enough to taste the food before it went out to make sure that you're getting the right thing. So that word um, is, is found in here, the text that we're, we're talking about today, of integrity. Having integrity with the dish and the process is right here in the text. Seek, king, first, seek first the kingdom above all, other, all else, right? That's, the, that's something bigger than you, greater than you. The cause of God, that's what you kind of align yourself with. And then it says live righteously. And that's really, um, I think I wrote it down this way, living righteously is living with integrity. Like it's simply, I'm going to take the process the right way. And a lot of times as humans, we fail. And the process that God gives us is when you fall, right, when you sin to confess your sins and God is faithful to forgive you of them. A lot of times um, we're not as comfortable with dealing with what we've done. 
We don't want to tell anybody. We don't want to confess it. We want to generalize it. Oh, that's just my personality. Oh, I just had a weak moment. Oh, that wasn't, you know, really me. But, but when you face it and you deal with it and say, hey, this is overcooked. This is too salty. This is not right. Having the integrity of throwing it out and saying, God, build me back up again. Start from the beginning and saying, Lord, start over in me. So living righteously really is checking in with the chef at each process and checking in with Jesus. Say, Jesus, am I doing this right? Is this what you want? Is this the right ingredient? Am I putting something in that doesn't mean to be there? Because sometimes we can overdo it, right? We cannot give enough. And I love that idea about living righteously. Back in that text, that um, God wants us to seek the kingdom and then live righteously, live with integrity. And then the rest of the recipe is he'll give you everything else you need, right? He'll add to you. And I wanted you to close with this. Isn't that good, by the way? This is just, this is just awesome. I want you to close with this. Um, and it's powerful when you talk about the scripture and how you see Jesus and maybe you can start with uh, the Last Supper and this idea of hospitality. Maybe, maybe you can even share a little bit about why you became a chef and what that had to do with hospitality and, and, and then tie that all in there for us. Oh, I knew I wanted to be a chef at a very young age. Um, you know, some people say that they started cooking as soon as they could reach the stove or I was the kid that pulled up the chair. Um, and so what was cool about it is I was experiencing hospitality before I knew it was. Our grandparents um, would cook and they would barbecue and literally I felt like half of this small city, South Bend, would be at our grandmother's house eating food. Um, and I would see ex-wives and ex-husbands and old boyfriends and girlfriends and usually situations where I feel like there should be tension, but because of the food, everybody was able to just be cool and relax. That those fish fries, um, if there was people that had animosity or the cousins or the sisters that were getting into it for that time period, um, because of how the hospitality was presented, they were able to um, just relax and, and be comforted. Um, and so I didn't know that concept. And, and later on going to school and I found out about the hospitality industry, I was like, okay, that clicks. Um, but that was something that was natural that they, um, bestowed in us, and I know that I liked that feeling of seeing somebody enjoy a good meal. I understood at the very young age, like the power that has. You're having a bad day, let somebody put your favorite food in front of you, right? If you're having, uh, you know, if somebody is, is um, going through something or we see people in third world countries or if there's a disaster here, the first thing they do is they're feeding the people. You know, you see these long lines and they're feeding. Uh, even my wife, she loves to do uh, feed my starving children we have where they pack food to send them overseas. There's something about that power of food that I think um, I've learned to see the power in that and how God has been able to use me, you know, knowing what this power is. Um, I, was, I was telling Terrence last night that I see so much scripture around food, you know, like even even Eve, the first thing that we look at, you know, her, her deception came from an appetite, you know, from 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 being food there. And we look um, how Jesus multiplied the two fish and the five loaves. Like we look at all those different things where food is always at these significant points. David brings pieces out to his brothers at the before the battle of David and Goliath, like all those significant moments. And it's the same with us. Like when you think about your anniversary or you think about that birthday party, there was food there. 
I mean, even myself, I think about the business meeting. When I have a business meeting, I'm taking them out to lunch. Um, and so there's a lot of um, different things that we have uh, in life and those memories uh, are over food. You know, as I got into it, I learned that I'm in the business of making memories. I'm not just in the business of serving food. I'm in the business of making sure that you have a memorable time. And if you have a memorable experience here, you'll come back, right? Um, and so Passover was, was so profound to me because I looked at Jesus became a server, right? Jesus became a server in this instance um, to serve those around him, and he humbled himself. And for those of you who haven't worked in the restaurant business, being a server is a hard living, you know? Um, I was not a good tipper when I first met my wife, and my wife has about three, four years more restaurant experience than I have in the front of the house. She's a general manager now of a restaurant, um, but she's a server. And so when we first met, I took her out on a date, and I probably didn't have as much money as I needed to take her to this place, but we were going anyway. And so when I knew I had that $60 to take her out to dinner, and the, the bill was $52, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna give them maybe about a $2 tip, maybe. Maybe bring the round it up to 55, and they can keep the change. Um, and she just gave me this look, and I said, okay, they can have the whole $60, all right? And so I learned that that living was, you know, because of them being able to serve. And um, being a chef, I have to deal with that every day. There's disgruntled people, people that aren't happy. There's people who we, you know, maybe can perceive to be picky, but they just want something a certain way. Um, and it, costs, it causes us to have to humble ourselves and serve them. And sometimes we make mistakes, and we have to come back and say, hey, what else can I get you? Or... Uh, can we make it again or give us another shot? Um, but it causes us to be to be humble, you know, and, and um, I really love that because once that clicked to me, I understood that my purpose in life and my career finally hit the same thing. And I understood that I'm here to be a servant, just as Jesus was a servant. I'm here to serve people. I'm not here to have all the answers, but to humble myself, you know. Um, and when we looked at, at Passover and Jesus doing that, there's significance to that. There's significance that he chose to break bread with them before he left, you know. He chose to have a meal with them. And I think that we remember those meals, you know. I, I think that it may not have been as, as uh, profound if they didn't have to sit down and share a meal with him, you know. And um, so that's important. I try to take that wherever I go and understand that um, I'm here to be a servant. The means that I do that is through cooking and through food, but that is how he's given me the opportunity to serve. Um, and because of being able to be a good servant, you know, being a chef has taken me to all of these crazy places and allowed me to cook for all these different people, but um, it's still that same process. You know, it's still that same um, process that's important. So, And I'll end with this last text. This is the text that you um, talk about all the time. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life for a ransom, as a ransom for many. And I think that's the call on everyone in this room that God makes is to follow me and to help me uh, in hospitality, serving those who need to be served, those, serving those who can't serve themselves, and preparing the place for them that they can receive uh, the blessing and the ministry of Christ. And as the Bible tells us that when we do take part of the Lord's Supper, that we're supposed to do that and, and to remember him coming because when we get to heaven, there's going to be a great banquet. And I can't wait to see Jesus cook uh, an awesome, awesome meal. 
uh, let's have a word of prayer together, and we'll transition um, to our baptism. Lord, thank you so much for our discussion today. Thank you so much for my brother, and Lord, as he is here, we just stretch our hands towards him and ask that you would fill him and open up the doors for even greater opportunity and greater presence. Thank you for trusting him with so much. And Lord, thank you for his eyes and his perspective that he shared with us today, that the recipe is simple uh, to seek you and Lord, to just live with integrity and that we might do what you've called us to do in serving others. Bless him and bless everyone in this room, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Can you help me again thank my brother, Chef thank you. Gerard Class, for the message today.